Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Sunday, the 13th of November, 2011. This show is part of the Gun Rights Radio Network. Podcasting freedom. One show thingy at a time or something like that. I don't know. Before we jump into the show too far today, I want to go ahead and take a quick moment to thank a gentleman, uh, and I'm only going to use his first name, his first name is Ross. I wanted to thank him for the generous donation that he sent to the show. Uh, It came kind of out of the blue, and I am still sort of uh, at a loss for words, Uh, but I wanted to say thank you very much, and and, uh, I really, really appreciate the fact that uh, you thought enough of, uh, of the show and of me to uh, go ahead and kind of vote with your dollars, so to speak. So I, I really uh, appreciate that. Um, it will help me to uh, purchase some uh, a better microphone for the show. And I'll be able to, with that separate microphone, I'll be able actually to use the mixer that I got not too long ago. So hopefully the sound quality will go up. So again, Ross, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And uh, again, thank you for your generosity and your kind donation to the show. All right, let's go ahead and uh, jump in with the rest of the show. If you'd like to contact the show, you can do so a couple of different ways. We've got the voicemail, and we've also got email. If you'd like to send a voicemail to the show, that's area code 206-745-2731, 206-745-APE1, so A-P-E-1. I do use that show for my other podcast, The Armed Ape, so just let me know at the start of your message which show you'd like it played for. If you would like to record an MP3 or a WAV file, or if you just want to uh, do the regular old email and I'll read it out for you on the show, you can send me that at firearmscafe at gmail.com. Again, all one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. Now, speaking of some of the feedback that we got on the last uh, couple of shows, We were talking about the encroachment and overreach of the government, uh, especially where it was concerning things like the Fourth Amendment, Uh, and we'll follow up on that a little bit today. We also have a couple of uh, emails that I got, and uh, I also wanted to let, uh, for some of you guys that are curious, uh, the song that was played was was called R.E. Your Brains. So R.E. Your Brains, and I'll actually go in and kind of, uh, I thought that I had put that into the uh, the show notes on the website, which is firearmscafe.com, but I did not, I and mean, it's, it's by a gentleman by the name of Jonathan uh, Colton, and I will go ahead and uh, put that into, on, on show number 63, this is show number 64, so I'll put that uh, back on there, so if you wanted to go to the podcast, I'll give you a link to his website and stuff. Uh, he's actually got some uh, some pretty good songs on there, and I, I'm thinking I may uh, end up playing a couple of more from him, uh, you know, over the next few shows. Uh, so anyway, let's go ahead and uh, we're going to hear from Travis. Travis is part of the Gun Dudes, which I'm sure most of you guys are listening to if you're listening to this show. And take it away, Travis. Hey, Tony Brown, this is Travis from the Gun Dudes Podcast. Hey, I was just listening to episode 63, and interestingly enough, the same day, I heard a podcast 
uh, from This American Life. Really good podcast. I highly recommend it. Episode 414, The Right to Remain Silent. And it talks uh, about the New York Police Department, kind of how they're corrupt and they'll do anything to make their numbers. And you really don't care about the people or the people involved uh, to make those numbers. Um, really interesting podcast, a guy named Adrian Schoolcraft, a police officer that uh, secretly recorded his superiors telling him to do unconstitutional and uh, terrible things to the citizens and even to fellow uh, officers. So I highly recommend that podcast to anyone that would really like to know what's going on in the New York Police Department. It's interesting, too, that Schoolcraft was fired for what he did, um, for standing up for his rights and and some of the things that happened to him there. So I highly recommend it. Check it out. He also has a, a, web, a website called Adrian Schoolcraft where police officers can go and report corruption. So give a listen. Give it a shot. See you later, Tony Brown. Thanks for all you do, and I'm out. All right, Travis. Thanks for sending that in. I appreciate it. You know, there's a lot there, and there's a lot of things to talk about and discuss there. Um, and in future shows, I'm going to be talking a lot about, uh, again, kind of going back to that militarization of the police, but also we're going to talk about police corruption, things like that. And some of you guys out there may say, well, what does that really have to do with Second Amendment issues or gun rights or things like that? And I, I want you to think about something. Uh, if you were walking down the street, and uh, let's say you're open carrying for whatever reason, and... Uh, Somebody, just a stranger, came up to you and said, Hey, I want to check that gun and make sure it's loaded, and I want your ID, and I want all this other stuff. Would you give them the time of day? If you were just walking down the street and somebody came up to you out of the blue and said, Hey, I don't know who you are. I want to see some ID. You wouldn't. But if a police officer did that to you, most of us would probably be inclined to say, Oh, okay, here you go. But... You have to realize, especially with open carrying, what we're seeing in a lot of other states where they're doing that, and they're doing it. They are doing it to make a point, and it's a, and a, to make a political statement as well. But you have to remember that those those same police officers that are going to stop that person who's open carrying, who's doing something that they're completely uh, legally able to do, uh, they're being singled out basically because they're a gun owner for no, for really for no other reason. Uh, and, and you can try and make all these other excuses and say, well, it's really because of this and that, and it's a matter of public safety. Well, no, it's not. And a lot of times, you know, every one of these cops, when you watch things on YouTube, when you listen to some of the stuff that comes up, one of the first things that they say is, well, I don't know who you are. But they don't know who uh, maybe another guy is who's just walking down the street, or they don't know who a person is who's at the uh, restaurant where they're eating, and they're not walking up to people who otherwise are doing nothing illegal. They're not walking up to those people and demanding to see identification because they quote-unquote don't know them. Uh, so, like I said, again, on future shows, we're going to be talking a lot more uh, about uh, again the the infringement of the state on our on our rights, and it's not only our Fourth Amendment rights, but our Second Amendment rights, our Fifth Amendment rights, uh, just a lot of stuff out there. Anyway, 
Uh, I did want to read a real quick thing, and this was something that was on uh, an article that uh, was on CBS News on their website. And it talks about uh, New York Police Department. Uh, and there are about 400 police officers that may be charged for ticket fixing. So I want to go ahead and read this. And this is by Adicio Martinez. And this, again, is off of uh, the CBS um, what's it called? Just CBS News website, I guess. Uh, so it says uh, CBS, their local affiliate WCBS in New York. A major ticketing fixing scandal is rocking uh, the NYPD, and as many as 400 cops could face bribery and larceny charges for making tickets disappear in exchange for gifts, according to a report. This is huge, a source told the New York Post. That's a lot of cops in one shot. I've never heard of something like that before. This many police officers charged in one period. The investigation was reportedly started by accident. Apparently, the owner of a barber shop not far from the 43rd Precinct in the Bronx called his police officer's son to see about fixing a ticket. Unbeknownst to the officer, the telephone was being taped by internal affairs officers who were investigating local drug trafficking. Sources told CBS affiliate WCBS that union delegates were among those asked to fix the tickets. Among the cops under investigation, more than two dozen faced potential felony charges, while another ten could face lesser charges like obstruction of government administration. Sources also told the station that although the case began in the Bronx, prosecutors in at least two other boroughs have pieces of the probe. Internal Affair of Probers pulled summons issued by 12 Bronx precincts last September. Records were also reportedly pulled at precincts in other boroughs. After the probe began, the New York PD, or New York Police Department, excuse me, instituted a new electronic trafficking system for summonses, making it tougher to fix tickets. And I know it's kind of seems maybe we're picking on New York, but. Uh, you know, this is one of the states that basically has tons of draconian gun laws. You know, it's the same in Chicago. It's the same in D.C. And what you see in those places, it's not, it can't be a coincidence that you have a, a history of trampling on people's civil rights and trampling on people's uh, ability to defend themselves where you have tons of crime and you also have tons of corruptions not just in the police departments but in you know all forms of city government all forms of stuff like that uh, I was talking to some friends of mine not too long ago and they uh, a couple of them are from Chicago and they were saying that uh, when they were growing up that it was pretty much standard practice that if you were pulled over what you would do is you would get out of your car you would approach them and then you would they would usually put you in the back seat of the car while they took your information. They didn't cuff you or anything like that. And then they said what you would do, and this again was kind of standard operating procedure. And this was from two different people that I got kind of the same story from. What you would do is you would put a $20 bill on the back of the seat, and then they would kind of look in and see if you had done that. If you did that, they would pull you out of the car and say, okay, we're just going to go ahead and give you a warning, and you'd be on your way. And then they would go in, go around the corner, and, and then you know take the money off the seat at a, at a later point. So, uh, you know, corruption is something that's not new. It's been around for a long time. Uh, and like I said, on further shows, we're going to go uh, a little bit deeper into some of this stuff. But uh, 
you know, I've got uh, just tons and tons of, of uh, articles about um, the police overstepping their bounds. And again, like I said, it, it also goes to other agencies, you know, so, and we all know, you know, TSA uh, is involved in a lot of stuff uh, that, that is total violation of the Fourth Amendment. Uh, we're seeing things like um, Department of Homeland Security. You know, they've got tons of, uh, of, of these commercials out now, these things that are, uh, you know, see something, say something. Uh, and you know what? I think I'll go ahead and I'll drop one of those in, uh, one here for you guys to hear. Um, let me see if I can find the one that has to do with the hotel. All right, guys, before I drop in the uh, the Department of Homeland Security thing, the audio from this deal, uh, a couple of quick things. One point that I did want to make, kind of what we were talking about uh, a little earlier, about how the uh, the state or the government is overstepping their bounds, and that has to do with the idea of when they're saying that there needs to be more gun control or, or you and I as citizens don't need to have weapons or don't need to be able to carry them because the police are out there to protect us or these other agencies are out there to protect us. But what we're seeing over and over again, especially it seems uh, particularly egregious in places like D.C., Chicago, uh, New York, places where you really can't, you, you, you can't carry a gun to protect yourself. It seems like the corruption in those places is crazy. And of course, we all know that the crime is out of control there. Uh, so I just kind of wanted to make that point as well, uh, that, uh, you know, the very people that are supposed to be keeping us safe are probably, uh, in many instances, uh, just as bad or worse than the, uh, than the people that they're supposed to protect us from. Um, and you know, a lot of this, when it, when it comes down to a lot of this corruption stuff that we see on the police department, when these videos kind of break and you see these guys, uh, that are going bananas on, uh, on average citizens, on their fellow citizens, I guess I should say. Um, this isn't the first time that those guys have done stuff like that. We see in these investigations time and time and time again when this stuff is kind of brought out into the light of day. Oh, it turns out, guess what? This guy's been doing this kind of stuff for years. or They've got three or four complaints, which means that they've probably got 20 or 30 other victims that are out there that they've bullied or intimidated that just didn't, they just said, ah, this is just the kind of the way it goes. Um, also, well, okay, let's kind of jump off of this and we'll start talking about the Department of Homeland Security video that you guys are going to hear. And I would encourage you guys to go over to the site and I'll put a link there and actually watch the video. Uh, to me, it really kind of smacks of, uh, you know, the big brother thing kind of coming in there and the Orwellian ideal of, you know, uh, watch everybody and it goes back to you know the kind of the stuff in east germany and all the communist bloc countries where you know you could actually be it could actually be a crime if you saw something and didn't report it you know so that was kind of uh one of the things that that was kind of one of the bigger crimes in some of those eastern bloc countries was wasn't that you were doing something wrong but that you didn't inform on somebody uh, whether you whether they were doing something wrong, whether you thought they were doing something wrong didn't matter. Uh, but the fact that you weren't kind of reporting in, uh, and then it, you know, it also, it goes to the fact that later on there, they have people that are informants and those people, 
need to have results. Um, so, you know, a lot of this stuff we're going to hear in the video, it sounds kind of uh, harmless or it sounds like, well, we're just making people be aware of stuff. Uh, but really, it's 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 a lot more than that. It's saying that, you know, you can't trust anybody and you, you really need to, you know, everybody's a terrorist and you really need to to make sure that you're going to, uh, to, to be safe, you know, ultimately, uh, you're not really trained and we've got people that are trained that can spot these people and you can't, and it's good that you're looking out, but really we need to have more, uh, surveillance cameras. We need to have more things that are mic'd. We need to have, uh, more control of your comings and going and we need to infringe more on your privacy and that's really what they're saying here this is basically to me just groundwork uh, in being able to say uh, well you know we tried to get the public to help out but they really couldn't do it and so now we're going to have to step in and we're going to have to encroach further but don't worry you you can give up that liberty and we'll keep you safe you can give up those freedoms and you can give up those constitutionally protected inalienable rights, but hey, we'll, uh, we'll keep you safe. We guarantee it. Uh, so anyway, uh, kind of enough of that little mini rant. Let's, uh, oh, and don't think that one of the things that they're going to let you keep is your firearms. Those will be gone real quick because you can't be trusted with them. Uh, what I'll do with this Department of Homeland Security thing is I will uh, cut it down and edit it down because there's a lots of parts in, uh, a lot of parts in there. There's a lots of parts in there. Uh, there's a lot of parts in there that where nothing is really going on. I mean, you can, you'd, you'd be watching it, but it's just kind of music and this and that. So, uh, and it's about 10 minutes long, but I'll cut it down. Um, and I would, like I said, I would encourage you guys to go over to the department of Homeland security website and I'll put the link on there and watch this thing. So, all right, here comes the video or the audio from the video, I guess I should say. Crowds of people, open doors. Arrivals, departures, bags and parcels. The same things that make America's hotels and motels inviting for guests make them attractive targets for terrorists and criminals. As someone who works or stays in hotels or motels, large or small, center city or roadside, full service or family style, you can help keep them safe. If you see something, say something. Terrorists and criminals the world over have targeted places of lodging. Easy access and crowds of people in public spaces are attractive to those wishing to inflict mass casualties and make headline news. Welcome to the hotel, sir. Thank what can you do to make the place you work or stay more secure? You can simply look around you, stay alert, and be ready and willing to report things that are suspicious. How are you doing today? Don't be fooled into thinking you can spot suspicious people. Terrorists and criminals work to blend in and may look no different than the guests and visitors that come through your hotel every day. Uh, the server rings over? That's the one. Go right on it, right on it. But you can spot suspicious behavior. You know it is normal and customary 
in what's unusual and out of place. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. Did you tell him he could leave his car back here? Sir! Sir! You can't leave your car here, sir! I have a credit card in Here's your key in the elevator, so right behind you. Um, you a credit card, I'll do No, no credit card. Terrorists and criminals do their best to cover their tracks. This may include paying in cash or using false identification. Hang on a second. Uh, let me call you back. I'm sorry, What's to up, Suzanne? I have this guest who wants to stay for a few weeks and wants to pay in advance in cash. No, cash is money last time I checked. What's the problem? Did you ask him for a credit card? Yeah, I did. He said he doesn't have one. He doesn't use them. No credit cards? How about an ID? Well, he gave me one. I don't, it just doesn't feel right. Well, everyone's normal until they check into a hotel. <laughs> problem? I guess it's not a problem. It's just weird. If your interaction with a patron feels odd, if that person appears nervous or anxious, refuses to show ID, if the ID seems to be altered, or if the guest insists on paying with cash for sums that are customarily charged and refuses to show a credit card, alert your manager or security personnel. This is suspicious behavior. In a lodging environment, it's not unusual for bags to stand unattended for short periods of time. Grace, did you see that? What? A woman. She left that bag at the table. No, but people leave things there all the time. I know, but it looked like she did it on purpose. And she was acting a little strange. And it doesn't look like she's coming back for it. Oh, she will. She's probably just getting a coffee. It'll be fine. Suitcases, backpacks, and boxes may contain explosives or other harmful substances. Pay attention to your instincts leaving bags or boxes unattended in a deliberate or calculated manner or for long periods of time is suspicious behavior. Terrorists and criminals may try to access secure or employee-only areas or steal uniforms or staff IDs as they plan or carry out attacks. Hey, uh, you know who that guy is? No, is he new? Hey, buddy, did you punch him yet? Be aware of people who attempt to gain access to restricted areas, take pictures or video of, or ask unusual questions about security, shifts, or things a guest wouldn't need to know. This is suspicious behavior. Housekeeping! Attacks carried out in places of lodging around the world have wounded and killed thousands. They've damaged and destroyed places of work. They've frightened away patrons and travelers, leading to economic hardship and job losses. If it looks suspicious, it is suspicious. Many more attacks have been stopped, often because people like you noticed something unusual and took action. No security plans and procedures. If you witness suspicious behavior, listen to your instincts. Notify your manager, hotel security personnel, or the police. A woman left a bag just outside the door, and it doesn't look like she's going to come back for it. Hey, boss, it's Dimitri. Yeah, listen, some shady guy just came into the back entrance. We need to bring him somebody quickly. The room has all kind of stuff. It's very scary. 
Hey, I've got an unattended vehicle out here. Yeah, the driver just walked off, and I don't think this guy's coming back. Can we get somebody out here to look at this? You know what? You're right. Let's call this thing in. You shouldn't investigate. You shouldn't intervene. But you can make a difference in keeping right, our right. hotels safe by reporting suspicious behavior. In big hotels and small, roadside motels and B&Bs, we gather to stay, shop, dine, work, and play. By staying aware and being willing to act, you can help protect your hotel, guests, staff, employees, and the American way of life. Have no reservations. If you see something, say something. All right, guys, you have got to go to the Department of Homeland Security website, and you've actually got to watch this video. You've got to watch this thing. Uh, the more that I've watched it and the more that I've listened to it, especially at the end, the whole, you know, you can make a difference. We will preserve the American way of life. But is the American way of life that no one is above suspicion, that everyone is a potential terrorist, that you better march down to the local Politburo and report your neighbor. How long will it be that if something happens in your neighborhood or your workplace or even a hotel where you're staying and you didn't report it, are they then going to say, hey, you you had to have known something was amiss and you had to have known something was going on and we're going to charge you for not reporting it in time and in fact, we're going to charge you with collusion. And you know, some people would say, well, that'll never happen here. But prior to 9-11, if they told you that 80-year-old women and infants will be groped and manhandled and made to pose nude and have to strip, would you have believed it? Would you have believed it if they would have said your 10-year-old daughter is going to be felt up by somebody? Now also, if you pay cash for something, you're a potential terrorist, or if you support a certain American politician, not a foreign guy, but an American politician. If you put a Ron Paul sticker on your truck, a Don't Tread on Me sticker or an NAR, uh, excuse me, an NRA sticker on your car, then you're to be closely watched. You know, you're, you're someone who is under suspicion. You know, the idea that this type of behavior is okay and, and, and more than that, that it's encouraged, this way of thinking needs to stop. And it's up to all of us to stand up and say, no, this isn't right. Now, if we look at a guy like Ron Paul, and if you'll go back and you'll listen to his speeches, he is the only one who uses the word gun in a positive context. He says we do need to take guns away and we do need gun control. Now, that's a fact. He has says that. He has said that, excuse me. But what he actually says is we need to take the guns away from all the bureaucrats and make sure that the guns are in the hands of the people. You know, one of the bills that Ron Paul authored was to end gun-free zones. Now, do you really believe that anyone else will ever have the courage to do that? You know, the, the primaries are fast approaching. 
And if you want to vote for Ron Paul, you need to go and register as a Republican if you're not already so that you can vote in the primaries. Uh, if he is someone that you that you want to support, you need to do that and you need to make sure that your voice is heard. He is the strongest Second Amendment candidate ever. Not just right now, I mean ever. Probably no one other than the Founding Fathers has spoken out more on behalf of the people's need and right to keep and bear arms. And don't, you know, don't even try and tell me about like Perry and how he's all pro-gun and everything. That guy would sell us down the river in a blink of an eye. And the same for Romney. Remember, Romney was a guy who said, hey, I'll, I'll sign that assault weapons ban. He was a governor of one of the most draconian states uh, as far as gun rights, as far as your civil rights you know, concerning guns. Uh, so anyway... Um, one of the other things that I want to bring to your attention in the video that you just heard was when the woman at the front desk freaks out because a guy wants to pay cash for his hotel stay. And it is literally beyond her ability to comprehend that someone would not have a credit card and also that someone would not just be dancing in the streets to go into debt to stay at a hotel. Uh, that The concept that someone has chosen not to use a credit card, is foreign to her. It might have well been that the guy was saying that he was from the moon. And you know, many people in the preparedness movement um, are trying to to be better, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, are trying to be better financial stewards. So, uh, you know, a big part of the preparedness, preparedness movement is that you get out of debt and that you don't go into uh, debt of any kind if you can avoid it. And so many, many people are trying very hard not to use credit cards because it helps them not to spend beyond their means. If you're using cash and you're only going to spend cash, then it becomes difficult to then say, well, I'll just charge this thing because I want it. So, you know, at first in the video, the manager does the right thing. And he says, well, you know, the last time I checked, cash is money. However, at the end of the video, it does show him saying, you were right. There is something wrong. We need to report it. In fact, in all the situations they portray, uh, you know, of course, everyone is a good little slave and calls the secret police and reports their fellow slaves. The only thing it doesn't show is that they get rewarded with a better apartment at the government-run sector. So uh, anyway, let's kind of uh, uh, switch subject. You guys, you guys do need to go and watch this thing. Okay, we do have some emails, and I got one from Eric, and he's from the Double Tap Radio podcast, and he says, I do an airsoft podcast which promotes gun safety, cross-training, and gun education and some of my quirky obsessions with gear. I caught your five questions uh, from the New Shooter podcast, and I was super excited about them. Can I get your permission to use those? And I wrote him back and said, sure, no problem. Uh, but he's got a, uh, like I said, a, a podcast called Double Tap Radio, so you guys might want to check that out. He also mentioned in his email the New Shooter podcast, and uh, if you guys aren't listening to him, uh, you should go ahead and check him out again, New Shooter Podcast. 
And uh, what they're talking about, I, I did a show a long time ago where I asked five questions and uh, sent it out to uh, several of the guys at, in, in the uh, Gun Rights Network at the time, and then we got those back. And I can't remember for the life of me what those shows were. Um, I've got the... Maybe I can kind of type it in here in the search bar. And if I type in five questions, if I don't knock the mic off. I know this is very exciting, isn't it? Uh, let's see. I think it was show number 12 and show number 14 of Firearms Cafe. So if you guys are curious about that, you guys can go ahead and uh, and look at those again. Or listen to those again, I guess. Uh, let's see. We had a couple others, uh, and I got one from uh, Chris, and he's talking about. He writes and just finished listening to episode sixty-three. Very enjoyable show. He said he found the podcast on Gun Rights Radio Network and started listening about a year ago, and he went through every episode. Uh, you poor guy, Chris. So far, they've all been very good, and I can't wait till the next one. And then he was asking about uh, who the artist was on the song. And so I wanted to say thanks for writing in, Chris. Appreciate it. And we also have one from Jeremy. And Jeremy, at the end of his, writes uh, has a question about uh, the song that I played on episode 63. But I wanted to go ahead and read his uh, email here. And maybe some of you guys can kind of help him out a little bit, too. He writes in, Hey, Tony, good show as always. I get both your shows, and they help the night go by uh, while working. He talks about that he normally carries a Walther or a Kimber, uh, Walther PPKS or a full-size Kimber 1911, and he'd like to get maybe a high-cap 9mm. Uh, let's see. Um, well, let's see. He says he likes the Beretta 92FS uh, for 9mm, but they're a little bit on the large size, and he'd like something other than the same probably three or four brands that are always pushed. Uh, he said he loves the zombie song, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, he's probably wanting something a little bit different than maybe a Glock recommendation or a Springfield or this or that. Uh, so if any of you guys maybe have uh, some ideas on some uh, high cap magazine or high cap magazine, high cap nine millimeters. So, you know, think of something maybe that's going to hold probably about 15 to 17 rounds, 15 to 20 rounds, I guess we could say, if we're looking at some of the other things. Uh, some of the suggestions that I gave when I wrote him back was, uh, I did give him, you know, one of the, probably one of the three or four that's always pushed, which is the Glock. I'm a real uh, big fan of the Glock, but I also told him that, you know, maybe he could look at, uh, oh, um, maybe some of the FN guns um, that FNH has, uh, and I'm sure there's others out there. Uh, probably SIG, but I, you know, SIG can be on a little bit more of the expensive side. So if you guys have any ideas on maybe some, uh, that are good, reliable guns that are maybe, uh, ones that aren't always talked about or always mentioned, uh, go ahead and uh, email the show or, uh, call up the voicemail 206-745-2731, or you can, uh, send an email with an MP3 or WAV file or just, uh, with your suggestions, and I'll go ahead and read them out on the next show, and that's uh, firearmscafe at gmail.com. I think that does it for our... Um, for our uh, emails that we got. And I tell you what, I... 
I've got another uh, voicemail. And since we're kind of on the um, we're kind of on the uh, gun recommendations, I'll go ahead and play uh, the voicemail that I got from Tom. So take it away, Tom. Hey, Tony, this is Tom from Roanoke, Virginia. I apologize. I've kind of been out of the loop the last month or so. I've been really busy with work and weekends and have filled up with my grandson, so I haven't had a whole lot of free time. Anyway, I, uh, I'm curious about, like, a long time ago I heard you mention you preferred the AK-47 over the AR, and I'm just curious about why. Is there any specific thing about it? I, I mean, you know, I... I've never even held an AR, I mean, an AK, I've never shot one. I don't have a point of reference. I carried a M16 in the Army about 35 years ago, and right now I've got a M4 Jury, and I'm building another. It's kind of my rifle of preference, but um, I'm, I like to keep an open mind and be objective. I'd just like to know what your feelings are about that. Um, I know you say you have an AK. I'd just like to hear about why you chose that in particular. And what do you think the benefits are against the AR? Thank you very much. Take care of yourself. Bye. Hey, Tom. Good to hear from you again. All right. Let's go ahead and start opening up this big old can of worms. Now, as you guys know, there's been uh, a lot of debate out there over, you know, which is truly better, the AK or the AR. And uh, we're not really going to kind of go over that as much. Uh, I like both platforms, and when I initially was was looking at getting, uh, you know, whether we want to call it a battle rifle or an evil black rifle or, you know, whatever we want, a service rifle, whatever you want to call it, uh, I had it really narrowed down between the uh, the ARs and the, uh, the AK, and you know, some in the AK, excuse me, <clears throat> some in the AK camp will say things like, "Well, you've got the reliability. Um, if you go out and it's in the dirt and it gets muddy, or if it gets some, uh, it can it can take more abuse and still work." To where they say, "Well, the AR is a little bit more finicky. You have to not baby it, but you just have to maintain it more." Um, and for me at the time, I also had the mindset, and I still do pretty much have the mindset with firearms of trying to keep it as simple as possible while still maintaining reliability and some accuracy. Now, I've talked about before on the show that people will say that the that the AKs are very inaccurate and, and uh, that the ARs are super, you know, accurate tack drivers. There's probably a little bit of truth in, in both of those. The the AR is going to be a more accurate platform, um, just I think because of the nature of how the how the firearm operates. Uh, but again, for me, when I was looking at buying one. Uh, I wanted something that would just be very simple, that that in my mind would be reliable no matter what. And the reality is, AKs are less ammo sensitive. They are uh, less dirt and gunk sensitive because their tolerance is inside. Uh, 
are so loose when you crack open an AK on the inside. It's, you know, it's very, very simple, again, in the context of a firearm. No firearm is really super simple. Uh, but, you know, for what it is, it's extremely simple uh, compared to, you know, some of the other things that are out there. And I like the idea, too, of a piston, of the piston uh, system rather than the direct impingement um, now before I before I had, had made my final decision way back when I had shot both I'd shot ARs and I'd shot uh, some AKs and I just preferred the AK I liked the the uh, 30 caliber round I liked that a little bit better um, so that was kind of some of my thought process of of when I bought it at the time now Let's flash forward to now. Um, a while back, I bought a, and this is a, I, I guess you could maybe call it kind of like an AR style, uh, but I have a Robinson uh, XCR, which is a pretty good rifle. I like it a lot. It's kind of like a combination of an AR, a... AK and maybe like an FAL if you were kind of looking at something like that a little bit. Um, there are some things that I don't like about that particular rifle. Um, and there are a lot of things that I do like about it. Now, it's it's more AR-like in how the magazine well is, how you attach the, you know, how you insert the magazine, things like that. There are some things about it that I think are really, um, that I like about it a lot. The, the charging handle is non-reciprocating on that. And it's over on the left side so that if you're a right-handed shooter, you know, you don't have to, you wouldn't have to take your dominant hand off the, off the pistol grip to, uh, to cycle it if you needed to. Um, it has the actual bolt release is down kind of underneath or right before is just, uh, uh, forward of the trigger the trigger guard so you can easily just with one finger you know with your trigger finger you can just uh, release it that way and once it locks back and stuff so um and the and over the last few months it's funny i have been thinking about uh, maybe purchasing an ar and i don't know i'm going to keep the ak uh, but I don't know if I'm if I would want to maybe sell my um, my XCR uh, for maybe more of a typical AR platform, uh, and I and I haven't really started doing the research on some of that stuff. Uh, but I am, whether rightly or wrongly, I'm just a fan of the pistons uh, piston. Of the piston, there we go, that's better. Of the piston system, uh, I just like that a little bit better. Uh, I know you can sometimes get a little bit more uh, felt recoil or a little bit more of a jolt sometimes with it than you do maybe with the, with the direct impingement, but probably not enough to where somebody like me would really ever be able to tell that much of a difference or it would make that much of a difference for me. Um and I know I'm kind of going off the track here a little bit, but, uh, you know, kind of getting back to the, the whole AK versus the AR thing, you know, we all kind of know some of the typical arguments and everything. And realistically, the, um, 
for a guy like me, I'm not going to be out in the jungles. I'm not going to be out in the desert for weeks at a time. Uh, if I'm using either one of the platforms for self-defense in the home, uh, I'm not going to be shooting at distances, you know, even out to 100 yards or 200 yards. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be maybe 30, 40 feet at the most that you would be shooting somebody inside your home. Uh, so you, at, at that range, you know, accuracy is really not going to be that much of a, of a factor. Now, the interesting thing is, is that at one of the local gun ranges, they have a 200-yard target, and it's basically a steel, a steel plate. And I had the AK out there, and I could hit that thing, uh, I don't know, with once I kind of got zeroed in on it a little bit, I could hit it pretty regular, no problem. So... Uh, and then again, you know, you have to, even with both those cartridges, you have to ask yourself, well, what would really be the effective killing range of those? And I don't know that I, that I, uh, believe that they go much beyond, uh, maybe 250, 300 yards, uh, probably maximum for the AK, maybe a little bit longer for the, uh, for the AR-15. Uh, when you listen to guys like Ken Hackathorn and, and, uh, Larry Vickers, they're really what they say is even with the with the AR-15 uh, or the M4, you know, version, whatever you want, whatever variant you're going to look at, that they were saying that really the effective range of them uh, was about those numbers that I gave, and especially for the uh, was around uh, 250, 300 yard uh, range to where it's still got enough poop when it gets out there to to uh, incapacitate somebody. If you didn't like maybe get a headshot or something, I don't know. Um, now I, I would be interested in hearing from some guys that have had some, uh, you know, maybe actual combat experience with them, um, or, you know, ha- what their experiences was with them when they were in the military and, you know, whether they had experiences, um, either with the AK or with the, uh, you know, with like an M16 or an M4, and what they kind of saw in real world stuff, because you know, again, really for a guy like me, eh, I'm not really too concerned with uh, you know, with uh, again shooting somebody at 250 or 300 yards and then being able to put them down type stuff. I, I don't picture that really ever happening to me. It's not to say that it couldn't, uh, or that I couldn't be in a situation where uh, somebody who was the, that distance away was shooting at me. Um, hopefully I would have a, an escape route if that were the case. Um, but if I was forced to, to try and engage that person, hopefully number one, I'd have the rifle with me when that, when that situation arose. Uh, so anyway, kind of a long, long drawn out, probably uh boring, <laughs> probably boring, uh, answer to your, to your question there, Tom. So, but, uh, just to, just to recap, uh, for me, I, uh, at the time that I bought it, I, uh, was convinced in my little brain that it would be a little bit more, uh, reliable weapon and that, um, it would have maybe, um, uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit more stopping power if there, you know, if there is such a thing. Uh, so that, is, oh, you know, and one other thing, I actually, um, with that too, as I knew it wouldn't be as, as ammo 
sensitive and maybe as magazine sensitive as some of them are. But, you know, for the most part, uh, the guys that I know that have ARs, they very rarely ever have feeding problems or, or uh, magazine issues or ammo issues as long as they're using halfway decent stuff. The one thing I will say with the AK is I've shot garbage crapo ammo in it and it just chews it up and spits it out. So, all right. Well, I tell you what, we are probably running a little bit long so I'm going to go ahead and uh, we'll draw it to a close. And uh, like I said, I'd love to hear from you guys on anything that we've talked about on the show today. Uh, but again, I would encourage you to go over to that Department of Homeland Security uh, website and take a look at some of the stuff on there. Not just the videos, but some of the other stuff. And it uh, it's pretty frightening. You know, there was the in aviation they talk about you get to a certain point when you're going from point A to point B where there's a point of no return to where you have to go, you have to continue to go to B because if you turn around and try and head back, you're not going to have enough fuel. You're not going to be able to land. Um, and I'm wondering with a lot of this stuff, you know, are we getting to that point of where once we allow so much stuff to happen, are we going to get to that point of no return, you know, kind of politically or, or however you want to look at it? And, uh, you know, the kind of the thought that I've had for a while, and uh, don't get me wrong what I'm about to say, I am a 100% supporter of, of Dr. Paul. And uh, I think that if he, if he can get the presidency, he can do a lot to help turn us around. Because, number one, he'll, you know, he'll still, you'll still have Congress, and you'll still have the Senate, you'll still have the House of Representatives, blah, blah, blah. You'll still have all the state things. But he'll sort of have, he'll have that bully pulpit. He'll be able to bring a lot of things out. He'll be able to do a lot of things that I think can help turn us around. But I, th I think, and I wonder if our political system, if right now, that we sort of have to turn it around, even, even if we have kind of gone to that point of no return, and we sort of have to let it crash and burn and, and build up a new system. Uh, and by that I mean, it seems that what we're saying is that, hey, this political machine doesn't work, or it's it's flawed, it's broken. And even if we kind of repair it, it it's still gonna it's it's still broken. The, the the machine itself is is the problem. It's not that there's one or two cogs that are that need to be replaced and everything can run well. So if we take the presidential cog and we throw that out and we put a new presidential cog in there, we're still stuck with that same machine. And that machine may not be serving us the way that it that it needs to be. It may not be our, our best option. What our best option is, I don't know. Um, maybe we... Maybe the machine is okay and we just need to replace all the parts. So, I don't know. Anyway, guys, like I said, I'll go ahead and wrap it up and I will talk to you guys next time. Take care. Bye. Oh, the devil has given him superhuman strength. Oh,